episode of Spawned is brought to you by Little Passports. Inspire your kids to learn about the world with a subscription to Little Passports. Spawned listeners can save 40% on their first month today with promo code SPAWNED. That's S-P-A-W-N-E-D. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash spawned. Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. I don't know if today's going to be fun though. <laughs> I think it'll be, well, we might get scolded. I'm afraid. We have an awesome <laughs> guest joining us today. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz Gumpener. We're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. On today's episode of Spawned, we're so thrilled to welcome Jessica Leahy. And for those of you who don't know, she's the author of The Gift of Failure. How the best parents learn to let go so their children can succeed, which is amazing if you haven't read it. It's gotten near universal praise from the likes of Ellen Galinsky, Gretchen Rubin, Jennifer (laughs) Senior, tons of book critics and educators. It's pretty awesome. And she's a mom of two. I shouldn't say that last. We should have said that first. And she's an educator and a speaker. So basically she knows what she's talking about. (laughs) Help us, Jessica. Help us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm I'm a huge super fan of the show. I never, ever miss it. Yay! Well, you know, when we decided to have you on, the first thing that I thought about was the one time, and I'm going to say one time because I didn't do it again, the one time... I brought my daughter her lunch when she forgot it. And I was like, what would Jessica do? (laughs) (laughs) WWJD. Well, and it's funny because that comes up so often when when people are feeling bad about, you know, should I do this or should I do that? It it tends to be like, should I take the homework? Should I take the cleats? And then there's an anecdote in the book that that talks about that specifically. So I kind of can't escape that. That, That's the thing people get a little bit um, hot about is whether or not they should take stuff to their kid's school. Do you think parents just feel so guilty and they're looking for validation and anything that's, you know, might be pointing to some sort of misstep in their parenting adventures? They're like, I remembered the homework. It's <laughs> yeah. a win today. Yeah. Why, why well, do you think and, people well, are so think sensitive it, to mean, those little things? There's so there are so few moments when we get to like check that box off of, you know, I was a good parent today because so many things, so many things are intangibles. Like, you know, if your kid is sad, even if you did all the right things, you don't feel like you parented well that day because the kid is sad. And so those moments when you do deliver something to school or you rescue your kid from feeling bad, that's that like immediate, oh, I really, I did something. I made my kid feel better. And because we're so focused on those sort of moment to moment wins, we tend to lose perspective and not see that sort of long-term, you know, that long-term view of, of, you know, raising kids so that they don't need us anymore. Well, and that's what, I mean, one of the quotes that I love is if that from you, not from me, is if we focus on what will make our kids happy and healthy in the long run, rather than what will make them happy from moment to moment, moment that's what's going to make us better parents. It's like we've always said, you're not raising kids, you're raising adults. Yeah. Well, and the other problem is that you were just, again, so focused on these like moment to moment crises. Everything feels so dire. And so it's really easy to look at, you know, this homework assignment or, you know, this soccer game is so important. But in the big, you know, in the big, in the long run, in the, in the sort of the big picture, 
it's not that important. And what's really, really important is that our kid is more competent, you know, six months from now or a year from now than they were yesterday. Well, it's so interesting because we talk a lot about how when we, you know, we drop our kids off at kindergarten, we're not going, well, that child was breastfed and that child had a bottle. <laughs> and so that same mindset, really, we need to kind of carry on as our kids get older, right? I mean, that's sort of what well, you're saying. Well, the other thing we don't do is, you know, when our kid first starts to starts to walk across the floor and they stumble and fall down, we don't say, oh, well, that's it. Forget it. The kid's never learning how to walk. We say, no, 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 get up and, oh. and try it again. But somehow when we go off, when our kid goes to preschool or kindergarten, our brain, like something crazy happens and we're suddenly <laughs> we're so tied into, oh my gosh, what does the teacher think of my kid? Oh my gosh, what does the gym teacher think of my kid? Oh my gosh, what do all the other parents think of my kid? And we get totally tied up in that sort of like, how do I come off? How do I look to the other parents you as know, a parent? It's funny because when my daughter was starting preschool, um, our preschool at the time had a program where the uh, teacher would come visit your house for 15 minutes just to meet your three-year-old or four-year-old. Wow. Yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah. Well, that's a neighborhood school so that they could meet your kid and your kid would feel conscious coming in because they'd already know the teacher. And so um, Sage's teacher came in. She was really nice. She sat down. She played with Sage for a little bit. And I looked at her and I said, so what's, you know, what's the curriculum? Like, what are you going to do this year? She confessed to me later after we became friends. I was the only person who did that. That every other parent set up these like big fancy spreads of food and drinks and like homemade sparkling lemonade. They were also worried about impressing the teacher and making the teacher like them. I was the only one who said, "Well, what are you going to do for my kid?" And uh, I, I, and she said she couldn't figure out where that change happened. I mean, have you thought about that? Like, how how did this all start happening? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the big things that Jen Senior talks about in her book, All, All Joy and No Fun, is this idea of, you know, where we are as parents now is all based on this sort of history of where we came from. But we're having fewer kids. We're having um, kids later in life after we've had more education. And we don't get much feedback about our parenting. And I make a joke in the book that, you know, I was looking at my, to my pediatrician for the longest time. I'm like, okay, where is he on the growth chart? how do we do this time? And, you know, you, you want to, <laughs> you need, you need that feedback. You're like, okay, tell me doc, you know, is, is he better or worse than those kids out, those inferior children out in the <laughs> So are you saying we're um, not getting feedback the way people used to when they were younger and maybe their mothers were at home or in their community and helping yeah, them raise that, their children? That, and we, as, as parents, I mean, I know I am. I'm so dependent on things like grades and my performance assessments and, you know, the assessments Facebook I likes. get back. <laughs> because, well, I know because we've been out at work and, you know, I know parents that use Excel to like track, you know, how much their kid poops and pees and eats so that they can have like some kind of graph for, you know, how am I doing? <laughs> So let me ask you about the book overall, because it's been a huge success. I mean, I hardly can talk to a parent without it coming up somehow. So kudos to you. Why do you think it's resonated with so many people? Like, what do you think is going on at this point in time that parents are looking for books about letting their kids fail? You know, when I go around, yeah, I travel a lot and talk to parents. I'm, I'm actually talking to you from a high school today where I'll be talking to the kid, to the parents tonight. Oh, that's awesome. And what I hear a lot is, yeah, something didn't feel right. Like I, I could tell something was wrong. Oh. I was clearly too involved in my kid's um, life and doing things for my kids. But I wasn't quite sure how to turn that around. And and that's where writing the book came from for me because I realized I was the I was so mad at the parents of my students um 
for overparenting them and, and rescuing them at every turn. All that rescuing and all the overparenting and all the meddling really messes with my ability to teach a kid. Um, and so I was all mad from my teacher perspective. But once I stepped back for a second and realized that I was doing the same thing, I, you know, I needed a book that told me how to turn things around and I just couldn't find one. So that's what I wrote. Well, love that. So is this kind of like the anti-Tiger Mom book? Yeah, I mean, it's also it's not just that. I think it, it it's an acknowledgement of the tiger mentality and an acknowledgement of the fact that I'm I can get sucked into it just as easily as anyone else. But because I'm a teacher and a parent, I have seen the damage that that mentality can do to a, a kid's interest in learning, a kid's willingness to learn, their self-motivation gets completely clobbered when we're constantly pushing them with extrinsic motivators, when we're pushing them, you know, based on rewards and and that and grades and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I, I, when I first had my oldest, who's 11, I remember thinking, okay, I am a high achieving person. I was a college professor. I was a type A personality. I think there, like you said, there are so many parents out there that are much more educated before they have children. And there is this level of achievement that we have in all aspects mm-hmm. of our life. And I think, like you said, it carries over yeah. into how we parent our kids. Like we have to be the best at something. We have to be the most educated at something. But the problem is that we're dealing with humans, right? Like we're dealing right. with, <laughs> we're not dealing with books and robots. And I know personally that was a huge challenge for me. You know, what What changed me, honestly, Jessica, I mean, other than your book, <laughs> is that I just had a lot of kids. I mean, I yeah. I, I had I have four kids and I just can't do it. Like that, that's literally Nothing what it is for me. Nothing makes you lay off the helicoptering like a yeah. second, third, and fourth. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I physically cannot do it. And, you know, it's interesting seeing some of the points that parents are bringing up, like how do I make them more responsible? I'm always like, have more kids because <laughs> you just can't do it. Like I wouldn't be able well, to survive. Well, and that perspective of seeing a lot of kids, I, I think, was helpful for me, too, because I saw just how unhappy my students were and just how little they cared about learning anymore. They were so dialed into the reward of the points and the grades that learning was something that they just didn't care about anymore, which was sad because, you know, I was teaching kids for three years in a row. And when they first came into my classroom, when they were in sixth grade, they were still kind of like, oh, Mrs. Leahy, Miss Leahy, guess what I learned last night? And then by the end of eighth grade, they were just so dialed into the honors and the points that the learning just didn't even matter anymore. It was just a means to an end. And that, that was so sad. Yeah, that yeah. is sad. I mean, I think, and I think at, at our core, as lately, I mean, I know I'll speak for myself, probably for Liz too, like we want to raise lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. want to raise creative kids that look at things uniquely um, with an imagination and not be lemmings, you know, but I mm-hmm. think there's something lost in translation. Uh, look, I think it's hard for parents to deal with the guilt and the sadness that accompanies letting our kids fall and fail. I mean, my well, I son think- didn't make the A team on hockey. He made the B team last year. And I was devastated. Like, I was crying. He was fine. It's true. You I devastated. was devastated. Yeah. I think the other problem is that our scope of what success is has become so focused, so hyper. It's this little tiny sliver of all the things that could be construed as bringing us happiness in our life. And, you know, I, for example, I have a sister who went on to a four-year college because that's what everyone expected her to do. It wasn't what Mm -hmm. she wanted to do. It was just what was expected of her. And she sort of kept quiet what she really wanted to do until two years later when she quit college after a lot of money 
money and a lot of wasted time and admitted that what she wanted to do the whole time was be a hairdresser. Yeah. And she yeah. ended up going on to be a master colorist with Wella and does great. And Ooh, so we need to get her number. <laughs> I know. So, you know, she's a really great example for me to look at all the time, especially since I have, uh, you know, I have kids that um, may not fit into the the box of the game, the kids who are good at playing the game at school. And so it, it's, it's a good reminder all the time. You know, there's a difference between, you know, kids that are happy and kids that are checking off all the boxes that we want them to check off. And, and, you know, I, I would like my kids to be happy. Well, it's interesting. Cause I, I, you know, I was just thinking about what you were saying earlier about kids doing things for the grade or the point or the gold star or the award instead of for the love of learning. And just yesterday morning, my daughter, my daughter realized she had forgotten to do homework the night before. And I told her, all right, mm-hmm. you're getting up at six 30 in the morning to finish it. And she came home and she said, I finished it and I got the check mark from the teacher because I guess you get some sort of check mark in your book in third grade if you've done the work. And I said to her, well, that's, you know, that's great, but you should do your homework because you're supposed to do your homework, not just to get the check mm-hmm. mark. And she was like, but I got the check mark, too. <laughs> and I kind of didn't know how well, to respond to that. Well, th- what's I'm not some insane Pollyanna who thinks that, you know, if we can just get kids intrinsically motivated, they're all going to be so happy and excited in the middle <laughs> of that. that. The point is that if we can give kids three things, um, there some autonomy, if we can let them feel competent, which is not the same thing as confident. Competent is, you know, when you actually um, feel like you can do something because you have some experience doing it. And we let them know that we're connected to them and that we we will support them. If we can give them those three things, then we really increase the chances that we will get them interested in learning for the sake of learning. Whereas we absolutely positively undermine that long-term motivation if we dangle rewards and grades and points and scores in front of them, which from my perspective as a teacher was really scary because that's, that's all I've got. You know, well, I've got extra credit points and all that kind of stuff. Well, let me ask you, cause you, I mean, we've talked a lot how parents have changed and, and become more helicopter over the years and why do you think there's anything going on in the education system itself that's creating this sort of environment? Well, I, I, there has, I mean, ob- absolutely the sort of the testing culture and the the um, the move towards sort of grading everything and giving an assessment on everything has really turned us into, it turned our kids into kids that sort of are like, um, you know, trained seals and they, they jump <laughs> for the herring. And see, the problem is though, is when when that bucket of herring is gone, the show is over. The kids stop, stop jumping for us when we don't have rewards anymore. So we're clearly training them in the wrong way. And see, the problem then is, you know, they're more interested in those herring than in the tricks themselves. And and that that worries me. But I'm also optimistic. And I think there are lots of great teachers out there that are figuring out ways um, – to move kids away from, from jumping for the herring and, and getting them interested in the learning itself um, and, and the process of getting there instead of the product. What I love that you've done with the idea of failure, because for me growing up, that was not an option, right? Like failure, you just did <laughs> you not had a fail. tiger mom, I did, have a t- I did, and a tiger dad or whatever. So I just avoided situations where I would fail. That's just, you know, right. and I think that's very common. But what I love is that you have sort of, you flipped it. And so you're telling parents that when we, you know, rescue, I'm taking from your book here, hover, otherwise save children from a challenge, that you're sending a message to them that we believe they're in competent, incapable, and unworthy of our trust. And I, I yeah. just love the way that you flipped it. For me, that I don't, I'm sure other people too, like just yeah. hearing that 
saying, okay, wait a second. When I'm saving them, I'm actually doing them harm. It's a, you know what? Yeah. It's a really tough mindset shift though yes. as a parent. I mean, you, I mean, I, I love that you also brought it into the house in your book and where you wrote about, you know, like letting your kid learn how to um, unload the dishwasher and how even though he broke dishes mm-hmm. along the way he learned to put them away even on the high shelf like and my how- five-year-old sweeping yeah I, I use air quotes for sweeping because yeah. mostly it's just moving dirt from side <laughs> to side <laughs> but that you were saying the pride that he had of you know being able to like accomplish something by himself was so awesome I think it's so hard to get over the mindset of like you're doing it wrong you're breaking my dishes like I think it takes a lot of strength as a parent to be able to shift your mindset to think it's okay that they fail or I'm not going to be that parent that calls the teacher to say, how come my kid didn't get a solo in Glee Club? <laughs> yeah, I'm one of, I'm a, such a perfectionist parent and it drives me crazy when, even when my husband's washing the dishes wrong or something like that and I feel the need to say <laughs> something. But how do husbands it's been, wash it's the been, dishes wrong? It, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's been really good for me to have to hold my tongue and look at the bigger picture and say, you know, my goal today is not that he does it perfectly. My goal is that he learns one more thing so that eventually he will be able to do it really well. Um, and that's that's been a huge learning curve for me too because I don't, I don't want people to judge my kids' dirty clothes or judge my house being disgusting or judge because there's, a, <laughs> you know. I'm so used to it by now, to be honest, Jessica. I've just gotten over it. <laughs> people come into my house and I'm like, just know. Don't look at the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little game. You know, sometimes we play games and quizzes, but we're going to tell you, we're not going to say who it was or are we, Liz? Are we going to admit to whose word these were? No, we'll see. We'll We'll see. We're going to tell you things that we've done. And what we'd love for you to do (laughs) is maybe help us to know how we could have dealt with it. We've got thick skin. We can take it. You can tell us what we could have done better. (laughs) So things that we've done with our kids, right or wrong. And you can say good or needs work. Okay, so mine, I'll take ownership, and I mentioned this earlier, is that my oldest is so forgetful. She always forgets her lunch. Always, always, always. And in certain situations, I've actually not brought it. And so what she does then, though, Jessica, is she just (laughs) buys lunch. Uh And then... And then it, she really doesn't learn anything. So what, and what do you're I do? Out like thirty five. I know. And then I'm yeah, thirty five <laughs> cents. I wish back in nineteen eighty four. So what do I do? What do I do with this eleven year old? In a way, that's kind of resourceful, though, of her, isn't it? Yes. To, to figure out to buy lunch, but you know, definitely the argue, There's been a whole bunch of arguing. Oh no, taking it is really, really important because then you show her that you love her and she knows that she can count on you and blah blah blah. But. For example, when my son kept forgetting his homework over and over and over again, he ended up having to stay in with the teacher. And the teacher finally just said, you know, this has gone on for too long and um, you're not going to be able to go out and have recess with your friends unless you come up with a strategy. And he did. How old was he then? Uh, This was, I think he was 10 at the time. Okay. So fourth grade, fourth grade. And he ended up coming up with a strategy, which by the way, was a strategy I had been recommending all along, but it wasn't Ah! something he came up with on his own. The fact that he came up with it on his own is what made it effective for him. Yep. And the fact that he had to sort of feel a little bit of pain staying in from recess with his teacher, you know, that's what led to a great conversation about strategies. Is there some sort of age demarcation though? Like, is there a difference between, you know, your five-year-old forgetting their lunch and like your ninth grader? Not if you talk to kindergarten teachers. No. When I, you know, when I talk <laughs> to kindergarten teachers, 
about it, um, they say the exact same thing. They say, you know, it's never too early for a kid to start Mm -hmm. thinking about planning, even if that means that you're a kindergartner can make a little checklist of the things that she needs to take out of the door with her in the morning. And they can be pictures. It's okay if she can't read. She can draw a picture of a lunchbox, a picture of her backpack, a picture of her shoes, and check those, just go through mentally and check those things off before she leaves for school in the morning. Yeah, my daughter's kindergarten teacher was super hands off to us. She's like, do not help them. They must pack their bag. They must remember their backpack. They must tie their shoes. Like she, she was really all about that. And that was kindergarten. Yeah, kindergarten teachers talk to me about that a lot. One of the big questions I asked was, you know, what can kids do that their parents don't think they can do? And she just rolled her eyes and she said, everything. Oh, that's <laughs> she said, awesome. She said, you don't, she said, you don't think I put all their snowsuits on before they go out to recess and do with their boot laces <laughs> so and all funny. that stuff. She said, they, they help each other with that. And then, you know, the lace expert helps the kids who can't do the laces and the, you that's know, the, the mitten expert helps the rest of the kids till they can do it. That's she said awesome. they worked out for themselves. Well, my kids went to Montessori and they were vacuuming the floor yeah. when they really? were like five. And I'm, and I'm at the house going, wait a second. Is I, that like I illegal? you vacuuming. <laughs> All right. So this is yours, Liz. The next one is yours. Okay. So, okay. This is kind of a, a tricky one and this is recent. So I, you know, I checked my daughter's math homework and I'm going through it with her. And so what I chose to do when I noticed she had a problem wrong is say that problem's wrong. You need to redo it. And I'd work with her on it. But if she had it wrong, I would circle it on the homework so that her teacher could see that even though we had fixed it and got it right, that her original answer was wrong so that the teacher Mm -hmm. would know I wasn't doing the work, but that I was helping her with the work. Is that like good, bad? Should I just let her have the wrong answer? Oh, no, I love, I mean, I really like the fact that you circle it because giving information to the teacher should be one of the primary, um, the primary goals of good homework is to, you know, give feedback to the teacher about what the kid knows and doesn't know. And I'll often make a note, like I talked him through a few of these problems, but clearly he's still kind of vague on the, you know, the idea of remainders or whatever. Mm. Um, Sometimes what you can do is if you see a kid gets a problem wrong, you can say, could you explain to me all the steps you went through to get that answer so that you can see if she can see the problem on her own? Uh, um, I, t- I kind of bring my teacher self, you know, to the homework rather than my parent self. Because the parent self, I just want the kid to get the right answer. My teacher <laughs> self... My teacher self wants to make sure that the kid understands the process of getting to the right answer. So you don't have to say, this one is wrong. Could you explain it to me? You could say, huh, could you explain this one to me? I'm not quite sure that how your teacher wants you to get the answer. Could you explain it to me? And, and through the process of explaining, she might notice that something is wrong with it. And if she doesn't, then absolutely just do a little note to the teacher, circle it and say she had a little trouble with this one and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is if she goes in with perfect homework the next day and she was just following your instructions, then that's not helping anyone. Right. Wow. Well, fortunately, no parent actually does understand the new math and can't help their kids anymore. <laughs> so it's not a stretch to say, can you tell me how you're supposed to be doing this? Because I have no freaking idea. Exactly. <laughs> I had to go through that with long division with my younger son as well. All right. And then what about projects? So, you know, especially for littler kids, I would say, as opposed to big kids, but you've got a project, Mm -hmm. you forgot to do it over the weekend and it's like the night before or maybe even the morning of (laughs) and it's due. What do you do then? 
So this is where I start taking teachers to task as well. Number one, teachers should not be uh, should not be assigning projects that kids cannot comprehend or execute on their own. And oh, um, that's you know good. that's that's on us. And you know we also need to understand that you know when a hologram of the universe comes in with you know to scale model of planets <laughs> that probably that's not a work because that should be a disqualification because clearly the student didn't do that work. So we need to start calling parents on that stuff. Um, so <laughs> I, I place that squarely back on our shoulders and I have assigned uh, things for my younger students that, that I, I realize in retrospect, I shouldn't have assigned. Um, on the other hand, I think it, there's a ton of value if your kid is not planning ahead Um and you can help with that. You can help, you know, help them organize their goals. Like if something's due in a week, you say, okay, so how might you get that all done if you can't do it all the night before, that kind of thing. But if a kid has a project they simply have not done and they have to go in that day and present it, let them go in with either their piece of crap project or no project and squirm a little bit while they have to deal with that because that's going to be a really important lesson for them. Yeah, it's and hard though, but it's good. You know, it's funny. My friend Tina, who is um, an art psychotherapist, said a similar thing um, in regards to you know, like it was really about um, you know sports and kids not making certain teams and that sort of thing. Where she says, you know, in in many cases, kids need some crises, and we're not talking about like right <laughs> massive crises, but we're talking about things where they don't it doesn't work out the way it's, they think it's supposed to, or they need to problem solve. You know, things. That that don't necessarily go their way because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like I felt like my whole life growing up were crises and I feel like I'm better <laughs> for it. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want that for my kids necessarily right now, but they need some. Well, and you said something about sports teams. And, and I think one of the things we tend not to do is not be honest with our kids about their ability level. So if your kid didn't make a certain team, and it's because they're not good enough, that's okay for them to know that because that, you know, my, uh, my older son has, has been running for a couple of years now and he's getting better steadily, but he's still not one of the best runners on the team. But that, but knowing that, knowing that his times are slower than they could be, knowing that he needs to improve certain things has been the driving force for him to improve. So mm. lying to our kids about their ability level or making them feel better by propping them up with empty compliments is not doing them any favors either. So here's a question, because I know this was a kind of a big topic of controversy last week. I believe it was a New York Times Motherload column, which I know you've written for them as well. So maybe it was even a friend of yours who wrote this. But it was about... Um, being honest with your kids and letting them know what they probably will or probably won't be able to achieve and that it's mm -hmm. not doing our kids any favors to say you can be anything because not every kid can be anything. And I've been really torn on that all week. Like, do I tell my daughter who wants to be an actress, like, eh, I don't know if you'll really be an actress or do I just say, yep, follow your dreams? Like, how, do you have theories about that? Yeah, I have two thoughts on that. Number one, um, so I think a lot of it has to do with this sort of fixed growth thing, growth mindset, fixed mindset thing, where, you know, when we talk about what our kids are intelligent enough to do or not intelligent enough to do, um, one of the things I love about the idea of a growth mindset is that intelligence is not fixed. It's not this constant, it, that the harder we work and the more we challenge each our, ourselves, the more we challenge ourselves to push through, like when we think we can do something and it, it proves difficult for us, but we keep trying at it, that 
helps grow connections in the brain. That helps make connections mm, in the brain. So smart. we can become smarter. However, there are going to be, you know, I have two very different children and they're probably going to be very good at different things. And I'm, it does them no favors for me to say to my very, very clumsy child who does not enjoy athletics that he could be an Olympian. That's <laughs> But that's does she want to be an happen. Olympian? Like and, if he said to you, I want to be an Olympic gymnast, like would, how would you respond to that? You know, I think I'm a big fan of the idea of working from your strengths. And rather than telling kids what they can't do and what they need to improve, I'm a big fan also of, of, of recognizing that kids have different strengths and from going from a place of strength and saying, you know, I've noticed that you really, really seem to love, you know, writing. And that that's something that you do incredibly well, that you're, the images you make are really beautiful or the stories you tell are really beautiful. Um, that might be something that you could be really, really good at. But you remember that last time we took you to gymnastics and you didn't want to do it because you said your toe hurt. Well, you know, gymnasts really are going to go through a lot of pain and, and you can go into these discussions about what they're best suited for as opposed to always, you know, bringing it back around to what they're not suited for. And so then how do you feel about pushing a kid to stay in an activity that they're good at, but maybe they're losing interest in or for whatever reason, they're not getting the same satisfaction. Like I, I really struggled with this when my daughter wanted to drop out of ballet. She was yeah. an amazing dancer and she still is. She can't stop dancing around the house, but for whatever reason, well, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons. She, <laughs> she didn't want to return to this ballet class and she really just wanted to do other things. And I, I really struggled with whether I should push her because sometimes kids need to like push through it because I know deep down she enjoys it or whether I should just kind of let go and let her try other things. This is one of my pet peeves because kids, childhood is a time when kids are supposed to try lots of different things. Mm -hmm. And when you, and, and a I hear a lot of parents saying, oh, well, we've invested so much time in soccer <laughs> and it's just too late to try something new. I, I don't ascribe to that. I think, you know, kids need to try everything from, you know, metal working to, you know, soccer to, you know, whatever those things are, they're supposed to try a lot of different things. And some of the things they're going to hate and some of the things they're going to love. And you know what, some of the things they're going to love at one point and not love later. My son, mm -hmm. my older son, you know, didn't want to learn how to play piano. And so finally, I just got so sick of arguing over it that we just wheeled the piano out of the house and gave it to the neighbor. And a few <laughs> years later, he picked up guitar on his own, under his own steam, and taught himself guitar using YouTube. And I stayed as far away from that as I could. I didn't, I barely commented on it because I didn't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole because that was his <laughs> own thing that he was developing because he wanted to, um, you know, and, and then what was really funny about it is he started playing keyboard again because he, he knew enough from guitar that it translated back over to piano. So, you know, it's, kids are really unpredictable and I'm a big fan of letting them drop something when they don't want to do it anymore because it might just open up an opportunity to try something else that they haven't tried yet and might fall in love with. Oh, well, I feel so good now because I'm totally a quitter. <laughs> I'm all about <laughs> I'm, I'm the quitting mindset. Well, how about, you know, I have a kid who doesn't, I have a, one of my kids does not like sports at all and he definitely does not like team sports. And so I could waste a lot of my time forcing him to do it because I feel bad that I'm not or that all of his friends are doing it. What I finally came up with is, okay, what's my goal? My goal is for my kid to be happy and healthy. So he has to get enough exercise, but above and beyond that, I could care less whether he's running around the neighborhood or he's playing an organized team sports. That's not for everyone. And, and allowing that our kids may not be cut out for a certain activity has to be okay. 
All right. So just can you give us, us all, the listeners, us, your tips, like three tips for parents just in terms of like how we can start right now, maybe, you know, age is going to be hard, but to get them to be more self-reliant. What do you say? Three things. The the first one's super easy. It's just start thinking more long-term than short-term. Start thinking about six months from now or a year from now rather than, okay, is my kid more competent today than they were yesterday? Or is my kid more talented today than they were yesterday? Start thinking a lot more long-term. Second of all, if you're going to give your kid more autonomy, especially when it comes to school, make sure your teacher knows that that's something you're doing, their kid's teacher, because If you have them on your side and you say, look, I'm not going to be checking the parent portal. I'm not going to be emailing you every day. Um, So if something comes up, I'm not going to be checking my kids' homework every day. So if something comes up, I need you to let me know. Um, and I need you to support my kid in, um, in, you know, if they make a mistake, hold them to the consequences of that mistake so that we can help them get better. And that teacher is going to be, A, a huge fan of yours, and B, <laughs> is probably going to be quite supportive of, of your efforts. That's awesome. And if, you, if your kid is older, especially if your kid is older, come clean with them and tell them that you've made a mistake. You can, you know, the nice thing about about this process is that the best way to teach your kid how to handle making a mistake or failing at something is to be a model of that behavior for them. And so if you, even with a little kid, you can say, you know what, sweetie, I think I made a mistake. I think I've been doing too much for you and I'm going to stop doing so much for you. And you're going to order for yourself at restaurants and you're going to go into a (laughs) store and you're going to get things for yourself in a store. And you're going to put away the dishes. (laughs) Yeah, because and explain to them that, you know, part of being a family is helping out with things like dishes, not because someone pays us for them, but because that's part of how a family helps each other. Um, and modeling that for your kids saying, look, I, I think I've made a mistake about how I do this. And, and now I'm going to try to do better because I've learned something. Um, that That's really the best modeling you can do for them. Well, I've decided I just want to pocket Jessica Leahy, like, like <laughs> PJL in my pocket. I'm going to put take you on speed dial so I can be like, <laughs> just... What am I? What am I? What I'm do I about, do about to this? go. You should make an app. Like if parents are about to leave their house, they can like go on the app, and you'll be there waving them off. Don't I, do it. I also like. We'll just call it WWJD. What would Jessica do? Yeah. Well, see, there's. Here's what you need to do: is you could always re- ask me questions in the guise of asking me for my advice column at the New York Times, because oh. my column. My column, the parent-teacher conference, is an advice column, and I depend on parents to give me questions and teachers to give me questions so I know what to write about. Well, that's perfect, see? So listeners, if you want to join this conversation, if you've got questions, you obviously need to get a hold of this book, and we will link all of these things up on our coolmompicks.com podcast page. But you can find us at Cool Mom Picks with a hashtag Spawn Show on Twitter and Facebook. And you can email us directly if you have questions for Jessica Spawned at CoolMomPicks.com. And what's the best way for people to find you on social media, Jessica? If you just go to JessicaLahey.com and those little uh, email forms for contacting come straight to me plus you're big on twitter at just Leahy on twitter yeah you're I, I love your twitter feed by the way you're always sharing amazing <laughs> educational articles i have you in my secret a-list column on hootsuite you should just know that oh sweet <laughs> so you can and, and obviously you can always find me at my column at the new york times and i write about education for the atlantic all right so we are going to share our cool picks of the week but first this We are so happy to welcome back our sponsor, Little Passports, which is an amazing subscription service that inspires your kids to learn about the world. Kristen? 
Have your kids learned about the world from Little Passports? They have, actually, at home and at school. We are a Little Passports all-around kind of family, I guess. There you go. (laughs) Well, this award-winning educational subscription kit, it sends you monthly packages in the mail, each one featuring a new country or world theme. Your kids get their very own box addressed just to them, which is super cool, filled with letters, souvenirs, stickers, activities, more. It's a really awesome way for kids to learn about geography and cultures around the globe. And you don't have to buy expensive airplane tickets. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And what's even cooler is Bond listeners can save 40%. Is that right? 40%? That's huge. That's a big discount. Thank you, Little Passports. You can save 40% on your first month today with code SPOND if you just visit littlepassports.com slash SPOND. All right, well, now it's time for... Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! And I think we need to let our guest go first. Jessica, Jessica do you we're have... so happy yes. you're sharing a cool pick. Which I can't cool wait pick? to hear what it is. My Cool Pick of the Week is the audiobook version of The Boys in the Boat, which has been on the New York Times bestseller list for a long time now. And my kids and I have been listening to it in the car, and it's about the 1936 Olympic uh, rowing team. Oh, and in Berlin. In Berlin. And it's um, you would think that that would be, I don't know, somewhat dry, but it is not. The races, like you're, I realized uh, uh, as I was driving with my kids yesterday that like my breath was coming short because I wanted to know how the race went, and it's so dramatic and great. And there's even a version of the book for younger kids as well. Oh. So the book is Boys in the Boat. Awesome. That's a great pick. We love picking books for our readers, especially ones that the whole family can listen to. That's pretty awesome. No, that's great. Woo-hoo. All right. Well, mine is Fuller House. Oh, child of the 80s and 90s. <laughs> On Netflix. And my boyfriend makes fun of me because I was binge watching it with my kids and I was laughing at all the references and all the jokes. And he's giving me dirty looks like, really? That's funny. And I'm like, it's funny. I have to say, have you guys seen it? Did you I have not it? seen it yet. Jessica, did you watch the original? I have not. Did you watch Full House? No. Okay. No so, Uncle Jesse for you. No Uncle Jesse. <laughs> so I was a huge fan, right? So I watched Full House. I think that's, I don't know, whatever it was for me. It was like so nice to see such a lovely, happy family since mine was <laughs> the complete opposite, maybe. And it was really revolutionary it with was. the single dad. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did a remake called Fuller House, and all the episodes are on Netflix. It's got almost all the original cast except for the Olsen twins. And I have to say, it is clever. The writing is great the acting is awesome I mean anyway I just if if people are wondering is whether it good they for should kids? watch it yeah it's great for kids it's a great family show oh awesome I need yes. to watch it too also because now I have such a new interest in Dave Coulier since knowing that he's who Alanis Morissette wrote you ought to know about did oh, you know that? I no. did not know <laughs> all right well you got to watch it if only for that Liz all right Liz what's yours oh okay so Kristen Jessica My pick of the week is Unicorns Pooping Rainbows. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. We recently found, sometimes I just kind of browse through really odd Kickstarter things to find cool things for our site that people haven't seen yet. And I found the most amazing Kickstarter. It is a little plush unicorn doll. And inside it's got a scarf, like magician style, that looks like a rainbow that you basically pull out of its butt. (laughs) And you wear it like a scarf with like the little plush unicorn hanging off of it. It is the best thing I have ever seen. Unicorn 
pooping rainbows. But correct me if I'm wrong, but was this not in the cool mom picks email last week? <laughs> oh, it was. Look it at was you. It? It Look was. at you. You are a super fan. We love that. <laughs> I am a super fan. Yeah, we wrote about this on February 25th. So um, anyway, it's so cool. We'll link it up again. It's on Kickstarters from a company called fun211.com. They have actually a really good record with Kickstarters and actually funding their products, delivering them on time. So I researched the company. I think they're cool. And who doesn't want to own a unicorn pooping a rainbow? It would go with my unicorn tears gin liqueur, Liz. Oh, our other I favorite must, cool I pick must of the week. have to get it. And listen, if you guys have cool picks of your own that you want to share, you can find us on Twitter at CoolMomPicks. Drop us an email at spawned at CoolMomPicks.com. And don't forget, we're going to link all of this stuff up. Jessica's tips, the book, the picks of the week on our site, CoolMomPicks.com. Jessica, we are so glad you joined us today. I am so glad I was here, too, because I love listening to you guys, and it's been really fun to be part of the conversation. Well, you need to put out another book soon so we can have you back and talk about all new stuff. I'm working on it. Ooh, really? <laughs> Ooh, do we get a Ooh, there's a little scoop there. I love it. And huge thanks to our producer, Kristen Meinzer, and also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And make sure you're subscribing to Spawned on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you are listening to us right now. Download the episode so you can listen to it anywhere you go. And hey, thanks for listening to Spawn today. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.